On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about cannabis stores and where they are being put in the city. Some city councillors not happy at all with the government. In fact, one says the government and a branch of the government has given the finger to the citizens of Ancaster. We'll talk about that one. And Don Robertson, usually on Monday's shows, on this podcast, it's on a Tuesday podcast, he joins us to talk about all kinds of stuff, especially those infuriating hair-pulling maple leaves. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. This is something I wanted to get to last week, but the week gets away from you quickly some days, some weeks, and so we're getting to it now, but I don't think it reduces the import or the heat underneath this particular topic because last week my next guest was hot. I mean, he was hot during a council meeting over an issue that doesn't seem to be bothering just him. There were others, other counselors who were also expressing their great frustration. It involves cannabis shops and where in the city they are allowed to be placed. This is not a debate today anyway about the pros or cons of cannabis, about the legalization of cannabis, about how many cannabis shops or what flavor, none of that stuff. It's simply a debate about the placement of cannabis shops and where they should or should not be allowed to be. Now, in this particular case, and I will let him clarify anything I get wrong here, but in this particular case, the issue revolved around a cannabis shop, a license that's been granted to open a store in Ancaster, right off Fiddler's Green Road in the middle of a residential area and near school bus stops. So you've got a lot of younger kids that are going to be in the area. Is that concerning? Well, some might say no, but a lot of people would say, yeah, that's not where you put one of these things. The guy who was expressing his frustration with this is Ward 12 Councillor Lloyd Ferguson, who joins us now. Councillor, thanks for doing this today. Well, thanks, Scott, for having me on. Uh, this was clearly, I mean, th- there are there are a few times in council that we see people get really hot. This was clearly getting under your skin. You, you in fact, described the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario as giving residents the finger with this. Why? Well... They ignored us. It's, it's that simple. Uh, I mean, you got it all right in your introduction. Uh, somebody has uh, applied to put a licensed cannabis shop in the middle of a residence on 11 Hatton Drive. And 11 Hatton Drive was at one time a house. Uh, but back in the 50s, I remember seeing it on a school bus. And that's a long time ago. Hmm. I, I remember seeing that variety store there. Then they, they had some plants in the spring, but it was mostly... What you would have seen back in the 50s and 60s, a variety store to serve that particular community. And so I suspect it's legal nonconforming because it would open up before the Planning Act come in place. And once the uh, the Planning Act come in, it, because it was a, a legal nonconforming, it got designated as a commercial property. And then the cannabis store issue came along. And, uh, you know, I know the city council did approve uh, being a host city for cannabis stores. It was a close vote. I opposed it, but you've got to respect the corporate decision of council, and we agreed to have cannabis shops. But we first started writing to the province and saying, we want the right to license them. How is this any different than restaurants? How is it any different than taxi cabs or any other business that we license? Because when you have a license, if someone misbehaves, you can pull the license, you can pull them before a tribunal, or you can deny the license, too. And this is a perfect case where we would have denied it because it's dead smack in the middle of a residential area. And if the province takes a view, as long as it's zone commercial, it's it's fair game. 
But in my view, these things, are, they're selling a narcotic. They should be in, and I know they're legal, but they should be in true commercial areas. You know, there's uh, Ancaster Joint is one that's in Ancaster now. It's over by the Symposium Restaurant out by Walmart, and it's... Um, it's running there, and I didn't get any pushback on that. It's, I don't think it's terribly busy. When I drive by, I sure don't see lineups out there, but it's it's set up and going. Well, this one, it's it was a, a variety store that's now closed, has been closed for some time, because variety stores in, in today's society is, are not popular, because, I well, I'll let the public decide why they're not popular, but they're not. So it's simply closed up, and it's been sitting vacant for quite some time. So here was an opportunity for a cannabis operator, I suspect, to simply get a, uh, a location cheap. Now, you can see it from Phillips Green Road. You're right in the introductions. It is off a major arterial road, but it's still in a residential area on Hatton Drive. And it's a large residential community, and both school boards pick up students in front of it, kids walking to um, St. Joachim's School or the, the Panabaker New School, walk by there to get to school. And uh, that's not the right place to shut up cannabis stores. It doesn't have a defined parking lot. It's very have s- residents complained, Lloyd? Oh, my Lord. <clears throat> uh, They've they blown my ear off. They, they, I got an uh, endless amount of complaints when it was first posted. And I put a resolution through council at that time that we advised, because they were looking for consultation, to advise the Alcohol and Gaming Commission material that we they deny this application because it's in a residential area. It's not the right location. Uh, I know a lot of residents, based on the emails I got, also uh, openly wrote to the uh, Alcohol and Gaming Commission through their on-site portal and expressed their opposition to this location. And uh, it was going too long, so I got nervous, so I got counsel to pass another unanimous resolution directly to the uh, Attorney General that oversees AGCO to uh, let them know that we're opposed to this, and they go ahead and do it anyway. As I said in my my, uh, little rant at council, they just give us the finger. They don't care. You know, know, some civil servant who makes this decision, it's not a political decision with the provinces. It's made by a a staff person, the Alcohol and Gaming Commission, and he doesn't even have to get out of his chair to go and drive over to take a look at it. Go on Google Earth and take a look at it. And another member of council commented, I didn't know what to do, so I went on Google Earth, and oh my gosh, it's right in a residential area. That's not where we want a cannabis story. But they chose to ignore the public, ignore two resolutions of city council that were unanimous, asking them to oppose this. And now, you know, I'm getting blamed. And, and But unfortunately, the city has no control over this. We can't even put in place radial separations to have a a specific distance from schools or from uh, daycares or other sensitive areas. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I'm I'm kind of stunned in one sense that the city has no way to deal with it, that there's no, I don't know, fallback plan or no way to tell the province, I'm sorry, we have control over this part of the city. There's nothing. Well, even the municipal associations are asking the uh, province to allow municipalities to license them because that's a, that's where we have control, control of where they go and control of how they behave. But I'll tell you, uh, our license department says there's 85 other applications before um, uh, Alcohol and Gaming Commission uh, where we've been asked to comment on, but clearly that's worthless. 
but they've been asked to comment on it. And, you know, the ward councilor uh, on Upper James Street says there's three in Upper James Street alone. So our city could get saturated with these things. And I don't know how that's good for the marketplace because they got too much competition. But I don't know how it's good for society either to be selling this kind of a narcotic. It's bad enough that we went, um, we legalized it, but that's done. But to make it so available everywhere, I mean, there's a bunch of that have, um, applications that have come in for the downtown area. And, um, and, and so I don't know where this is all going to end, but other than lobby the province, get our associations to lobby the province, and maybe even you know, try to get the federal government to loop, but the whole distribution of cannabis is um, the, the province's responsibility. The, the feds legalized it. The province distributes it. And the only thing the municipality, municipality has is land use, but land use for handcuffed too, because all it has to do is be zone commercial that can go there. And, and so to your listeners, these things are going to show up near you. And maybe you're okay with it, but maybe you're not. But I just think it's absolutely unconscionable that they put these things in, res- in, in a residential area in an abandoned variety store. And, and this would theoretically be, I mean, it's the same organization, the same branch that ha- would handle LCBO stores or, or stores, of, stores of booze in grocery stores. Or now we hear that there's going to be some, or there's at least a request to have it in 7-Eleven stores. So, um, I mean, theoretically, if this is something that the government has decided is a good idea, is it a stretch to say that down the road we could be having in the same place beer available right beside a high school? I mean, maybe maybe people have no problem with that or, or other stuff. Or maybe some people say, no, that definitely shouldn't happen. I don't know. Well, I was told that uh, at the meeting where I took my hissy fit, as you, I think you explained I got pretty upset about it. But uh, I was told that if you're going to go for public consultation for a liquor license like a restaurant, it's, a th- it's open for 30 days for the public to respond. With cannabis, it's only 15 days. Yet it's the same organization as the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario. And so there seems to be a movement by the province to get as many of these out there as they possibly can. Um, I think that the market is a lot less than uh, what everybody expected. If you look at the cannabis stocks, they're not doing well. I saw another cannabis stock way down again today as we're looking at the markets. But this is supposed to be a huge revenue maker for the province because they get to tax it. And and this is what's got to be motivating them is that they need the revenue and they're just going to put these things everywhere to try to spike up the, the, the market to, or the ability you, to, to move the product. For the record, do you have an issue with cannabis stores being in your ward? Are you just opposed to them being in Ancaster or is it just this location? Just this location, as I said, there's the the first one in Ancaster was called Ancaster Joint. Right, it's up there. But let's say there's eight more that go up in other. Yeah, I would have trouble with eight more coming into a a community of forty thousand people. Uh, You know, we only have two liquor stores: one in Meadowlands and one out by Walmart, also by Longos. And and so, why would you saturate a marketplace with cannabis stores? Because they're only going to make the profitability of those stores less and less and less as there's more and more competition. And, and you know, if they just... Or, or more to, and more sales. Yeah, but, you know, if they just followed the LCBO model, it would have worked fine because, you know, they're very responsible of how they sell it. You know, they, uh, they don't saturate the market with them. 
it took a long time for a second one to come to Ancaster, and that was only after that new development out at the Lowe's, Walmart, and Longo's area, along with a number of other merchants. And so, yeah, I would have trouble if they showed up, but I'm clearly not going to have any say in them. Lloyd Ferguson, City Councillor for Ancaster. Thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it today. Anytime, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We didn't have a show last night because of family day. And so we have bumped yesterday's seven till eight guest. He's there every Monday. He's here every Monday from seven till eight. Don Robertson, we brought him on tonight instead. We're doing t- Monday on Tuesday. Don, of course, the owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoys, the guy who runs ComChoice Realty in Dundas, the guy who was once the Citizen of the Year in Dundas and absolutely will be again if we have anything to do with it. Sir... How's the snow going? Lots of it. Holy cow. Do you have someone who helps you get out of your driveway? Because you have a long rural driveway, or are you just buried? No, no. Uh, our neighbor comes was uh, over this morning, started with his plow and tractor, and then come back with his snowblower. We are absolutely blessed. I went out about six to grab a paper and a coffee, and I can hardly get off, get down our road, let alone off Ferguson Road. And by the time I left a quarter date, our road was clear as a bell, and Ferguson Road hadn't seen a plow since they were invented. So we're really lucky. <laughs> he does the, he does the entire neighborhood, or we would all be, you know, I mean, Sue's it would it would have taken her hours to clear our driveway out. <laughs> Yeah, it would have taken, I would have given my wife the shovel and said, go. And I would have seen her by March, uh, maybe, if she wasn't buried under no. the snow. That's very kind of you to let her shovel. You, uh, <laughs> your wife would have never seen her again. And that would be my guess. But what I did do is I did, I, I did buy her a, a heated uh, snow shovel, the handles. So it's a little easier for her, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> trying to provide the luxuries as required. That was her Valentine's gift, was a heated shovel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The last of the great romantics. Here, your choice, Suze. You can have a heated shovel or a vacuum cleaner. Which would you like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yes. No, that's... <laughs> uh, before we get on to some stuff to do with real sports, I do want to ask you this question because during the break, just before we came back from the news, on my Facebook page, I have no idea where, I know Facebook all runs on algorithms and stuff like that, but none of it ever makes sense to me because there's stuff that pops up that I just truly, it has no connection or anything else. But nonetheless, right before I came back, there was a video that popped up and it was like four or five minutes long of nothing but guys getting reamed in the gonads by balls, poles, sticks, whatever. It's just a nonstop crotch shot fiesta. And you know, and I know that we may not want to admit it, but guys find it hilarious when they see other guys get clomped right there. Why is it funny to watch someone else get hit that spot? Because you know, darn well, we've all had it. It is the least, least pleasant thing ever to, to have that happen. And yet we laugh hysterically when we see some guy take a soccer ball down there or run into a pole or whatever else. Why? What's your, what's your theory on why we find it so funny? Well, I, I, I'm, I'll give you my theory, but it's just more proof that women are smarter than men because we find we we find such humor in some, some other poor guy's misery. 
and it is funny. And it's funny when you think a guy's going to step on a rake and come up and whack himself on the whatever or nose. And that's why they made the Three Stooges, because guys like you and I thought some of that stuff was funny. And the ones that don't admit it thought it was funny too, but they just, they're scared to admit it. But I don't know. It's it's fascinating, and it sounds like quite a highlight. And generally speaking, those things happen because of of something you've been looking up. Or um, I was looking for a new car on the weekend, or thinking about upgrading the car, and snooping around on on my iPad. And guess what? I got more car ads. Yeah, well, that happens. Hours, but for you to get somebody. To get hit in the I, I assure you, I have done Seven, no searching for guys times. getting smashed in the cojones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that stuff might be so sophisticated now, Scott. If it even crossed your mind, you're now yeah, getting it. Maybe. 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 Well, or maybe it was because I watched the Leaf game last night and it was the equivalent of getting smashed in the cojones to watch those guys play the way they did in the third period. How's that for a segue? Uh, you know, Don, hmm. I. Year after year. So last year, I don't think anybody has forgotten the David Ayers game, which I think is probably the most humiliating loss in NHL history for any team ever. I mean, you just, you cannot lose to your own minor league team Zamboni driver and shake that one off. And so I really thought, I really thought somehow that the guys who played in that game, that would be one of those lessons that would resonate so painfully with them that something like that would never happen again, that when they were in games where it was a guaranteed win night, that they would have some sort of lesson from that and say, we, we just, nothing like this will happen again. If we get into this, we're going to put our foot down and, and then yesterday happens, which I don't know if it's the second most embarrassing loss, but you're one of the elite teams in the NHL. You're up 5-1 on the worst team in the NHL and you wet the bed. And I just, w- with this team... Year after year, Don, how is it that year after year lessons don't seem to be learned? You've got all the talent in the world, and I think you've got some character guys in this team, but year after year, the same lesson jumps up and bites you again and again and again. Well, that's one of the reasons that they want Joe Thornton there and they want Wayne Simmons in their room so they can go in and say whatever. I won't repeat what I think they probably said, but. Uh, I'll use the analogy of um, the Edmonton Oilers and Wayne Gretzky walking by the New York Islanders dressing room after the Islanders won the Stanley Cup, and they were all in ice packs and bandages, and the Oilers went strutting by because they could score at will. And kind of at that point, they realized there's a price to be paid. And with all the young talent the Leafs have, they don't seem to have grasped the actual uh, price that has to be paid, which is why they've always struggled with Boston. And I don't, I don't know if they've captured the embarrassment factor yet. I mean, what you have to learn to do is when you've got a five goal lead and somebody catches up, that's when you put, I mean, it's embarrassing enough to get caught up, but that's when the really good teams that know how to win just say, you know, hold my beer and watch this. Uh, probably the best team I ever had that did that was the 2013-14 version of the Real McCoys when we were pretty talented and pretty mean. 
And that happened a couple times. And our guys would go out and start knocking some bodies around and score, score a couple of quick ones. And that's when the other team goes, okay, we're not beating these guys. And that was their opportunity to do that last night. When these, when Ottawa kept picking away and picking away and picking away, go out, run somebody down, take control of the game and score a couple goals and look at them and say, that's what we've learned and nobody's doing that to us. That was a great and I don't, opportunity for them to do it and they didn't do anything. No, and I don't think that the Leafs don't have to. I don't think as a team you have to do it with physical play. That's one way to do it. But if they had simply said, you know, we're going to go back to what we did in the first two periods and start playing with that intensity and that zip in our game, we can probably take this game over again because we're so much more talented than these guys. But they, it, it's like... It's like they've got a, and I mean, look, I'm not trying to dump. They're a team that's what, 11 and three now or 11 and four. I mean, it's not like they're a bad team by any stretch, but it's like they've got a bunch of guys in that team who go from confident to overconfident very, very quickly that gets them in trouble. And overconfidence, Don, I mean, look, show, show me the last overconfident player or team in sports that's worked for them. Oh, it doesn't. I mean, there's, there's, you got to have a little chip on your shoulder and you got to have a little swagger and you got to have a little cockiness, but they mailed it in after about the 12 minute mark of the second period last night. And they couldn't rein it back in to correct it and, or they didn't want to one or the other, but they, I mean, they have ample opportunity and hopefully they learn from things like last night. I mean, they blew, they didn't have a big lead, but they blew a lead uh, against Montreal the game before. And you know what they, they're going to have to learn some things like this. I mean, you asked me who, who I thought, pardon me, would win the North. I picked the Leafs. I still think the Leafs will win the North. I'm not sure um, they can win a game against Boston if they play them in the playoffs, or they could win a game against Vegas. I'm not sure they could win a game against those teams. But I think Are you they positive can they can win a game the in the playoffs in the North? If they have to play Winnipeg in the first round, and Winnipeg has the ability to shut things down and tighten things up and play physical. Are you positive that the Leafs have the ability to beat Winnipeg in the playoffs? I'm not, because well, I keep seeing evidence that this team, there are seemingly flaws in the emotional or the psychological makeup. Not talent, tons of talent, but I just, you, how many times can the same lesson be given to you and you still don't seem to learn the lesson? Well, the, uh, the I give a crap meter has to go up dramatically. Um, do I think they can? Yeah, they can win games against any of the Canadian teams. But if the Canadian teams play them hard and try and make them work for everything they get, that may be their downfall. But assuming they could even win the North, not just end up in first place, uh, boy, it gets a lot tougher outside of the North and. You think you're right. You think Paul Maurice and the rest of the coaching, Claude Julian and those guys can't see what they need to do. Now we're a long way from the playoffs and a lot of things can change. So let's give them an opportunity because, you know, they're young, they're talented, they're full of swagger because they've been winning. So, you know, let's see what happens now. They've, now they've been slapped in the mouth a couple of times. And let's judge them over the next five games and see how they make out. And let's see what happens when they have a decent lead and they face some adversity 
you know, over the next two weeks and see how they react. Because if nothing changes, they're in big trouble. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I agree with most of what you're saying. But you've got Ottawa that is a truly awful team this year. They've shown it. They're an awful team this year. And two of their four wins are against the Leafs. And you would have thought, Don, I, I mean, you're a guy who's coached. You're in the dressing room before a game. You've played in the real McCoys are the top team in the league. They've played the worst team and you got embarrassed last time. As a coach, are you not in there saying, guys, remember what happened last time? These guys may be last, but they're still last that beat you. So be ready to play. How do you possibly, after you've been embarrassed once by this team, come out and get embarrassed a second time by a team that isn't even remotely close to you in the talent department? That's the problem. I agree with you that it's still a long way from the end of the year. Lots can happen. But you already were embarrassed once by these guys. That, If you are a team with with the intestinal fortitude or whatever you want to call it, that should never happen a second time. Well, it... it, from where I sit, I'll tell you, it, it doesn't take the coach to walk in and do that. That should all be going on prior to the game amongst the players. The coach is just going to go in and reaffirm it. I mean, that should be a topic of conversation. Guys, these guys have already got us once. We're going to prove to them that's not going to happen again. You know what happened last time? And, you know, look at what we did against Montreal. we got to hammer these guys and we get a chance. They had them. They had them up five one. Didn't put their foot on their head and squish it down. I mean, they. That was when they should have started making a statement. You never let up the pedal, thinking you know we don't want to blow these guys out. Blah blah blah. Well, I guess you better learn how to blow somebody out because you can't hold a lead. But that stuff, Scott, has to come from within the dressing room. And if it's not coming within the dressing room, there isn't a guy on the planet that can coach them. While we're talking about the Leafs, and I, I was going to do this separately, but you know what? I'm going to do it right now. Um, one of the guys that, you know, I, I think if you go on social media that is driving people insane right now, Leaf fans, is William Nylander because the guy's being paid $7 million or something a year. And, you know, looks like you talked about the give a crap meter. Looks like there is, it's not even registering. It, I mean, it just, it look whether he is or isn't, it looks like he is absolutely just skating around, disengaged, and quite frankly, making John Tavares's life, who's his line mate, look difficult because now you've got you're you're almost playing shorthanded, it seems, every shift. What do you do? If you're a coach, you can bench the guy, I suppose. We saw that with Tortorella and Line A the other day. But what do you do if you're a coach and you've got a guy getting paid all that money and he looks like he couldn't care less? Well, the the frightening thing, and, and you got to know over coffee in the morning or a beer after the game that uh, that they talk about that. I mean, you're not the only one picking that one up, right? Um, but it's it's an interesting situation. My guess is if you if you sit him down, nothing changes. Still getting the seven million a year. Now he doesn't even have to play. Does body language I, count? Well, sure it does. I mean, he doesn't seem to give a damn. And I'm not sitting them out, doesn't have him go, this this just keeps getting better and better. Now I'm getting $7 million a year and we're going to have to sweat. Not sure how much he's sweating anyways, but you know what I mean? It's I I would certainly, I mean, they must have had a talk with him. 
you would think his buddies would have a talk with him. I mean, how do you, like, how do you have that much skill and be capable of so much and, and apparently be putting in the effort he is on a regular basis and go have, you know, a beer and dinner with your teammates after the game when you got other guys that, that aren't dressing and aren't playing as much, it would run through a brick wall so you could win. Like it's, it's hard. It's damaging. I it's, I'm, you know, like you don't want to be returning to, and this goes way back. I mean, you don't want to be returning to the days before my time of Frank Mahovlich, where people said, well, he's loafing around. He's still putting up 47, 48 goals with the Leafs. This is way back. But he looked, because it came so easy, it looked like he wasn't trying all that hard, so the stories go that I've heard. But he was still putting up huge numbers. If if William Nylander was putting up big numbers but looking like he's not trying, I don't think anybody would be having an issue these days with how he looked. But when you're not producing and you're giving the appearance of not trying, you've got a huge problem. You really do. Yeah, it's and, and a lot of talented players have been... Um, criticized and some some falsely because of what they do they make it look so easy because they're just that good at it Mm -hmm. you know when you go so look at the box score they won five free radley didn't even break a sweat one goal three assists and it consistently happens well you know what he's just smarter than the rest of them he's not wasting (laughs) he's not wasting any energy he produces and, but if he won't back check and he's a real liability defensively, that's an issue. But most of those guys aren't. You look at Kessel. When Kessel had to, Kessel always looked lazy. Scored 40, always looks lazy. But when it mattered, he would back check and he knew how to play the game. Now, he did it on his own terms, but at least he knew how to do it and would when it mattered. I, I watched Nylander pretty close the last couple of games. It's interesting you brought it up. And... Um, He's okay if, you know, if, if a guy goes by him, he's okay to let him go. He's an analytics guy. I mean, honestly, I, and this is what I, what I eventually, what I ultimately come to, and I'm not a scout and I'm not a general manager. I'm a guy who has watched an awful lot of hockey and thinks I know a little bit about some of this stuff, but he is the guy that people who love analytics point to as having all these analytics numbers that are favorable. And yet the eye test says... Yeah, but, okay, so, okay, his puck possession numbers might be off the charts. What does that mean? If you're, if you're, if you're just skating around up and down the wings and never going into the middle of the ice and never doing much and you hold on to the puck for a long time and you don't give it away a ton or in certain circumstances, so what? And, and to me, to me, William Nylander is the perfect, he is the personification of the problem of relying too much on analytics and not enough on human vision and seeing what you see. I'm not, I'm not disputing analytics. I'm not throwing analytics out, but there has to be a balance between what you obviously clearly can see in front of you and what the numbers on the stat sheet or on the analytics sheet say, because there's other guys that, you know, analytics probably says they're not worth keeping around. And yet you say, Hmm, like, I don't know what, I I have no idea what a guy like Wayne Simmons analytics numbers would be like. But when he's on the ice for the Leafs, stuff seems to happen. And so is he a good analytics guy? I don't know. I have no idea if analytics likes or dislikes Wayne Simmons. All I know is I'd like him on my team because stuff seems to take place when he's on the ice and things seem to fall into play. 
um, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, he is the guy though. Like I, I, I truly believe, Don, that even if, and I, I know this sounds ridiculous, if William Nylander were to score the Stanley Cup winning goal in overtime for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He has built himself a reputation that is so ingrained now with most Leaf fans that he still would not be beloved among the the fan base. They'd, he'd, they'd tolerate him. They don't tolerate him now. If he won the cup for them, they'd barely tolerate him. Have you ran into anybody that thinks that was, that was a quality signing within the salary cap? Well, the, what we keep that, hearing I mean, with that, we got to we got to go to a break here. What we keep hearing is, well, you know what? In in time, that will seem like a bargain, right? Because the salary. So the idea was the salary cap is going to keep going up. Salaries are going to keep going up. Therefore, in time, by the time we get to the end of his deal, that's going to look like it was a huge bargain. Well, now that we've got a flat salary cap and salaries aren't going up, it looks like wait a second, he's getting paid more than how much? He's being paid less than two million less than Sidney Crosby. Sidney Crosby makes not $2 million more than William Nylander. Uh, that might seem wrong. I do, I'd make that switch pretty quick, and I'm not a GM. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You said something. I wasn't going to go into this, but you said something that I thought, I want to jump on this one for a minute because it's a fascinating topic that always intrigues me. And you, you said it in the context of, well, you have to learn not to let up even when you're crushing another team. What about that? In sports, surely there is a point when you do take your foot off the throttle. Now, clearly not where the Leafs were. Four goals was clearly clearly not enough. But at what point, when you were coaching or in other sports, when is the point when you say, all right, we're not going to rub it into their faces. We're still going to play, but we're not going to rub it in. We're not going to try to run up the score. When does that point come? Or does it? Well, if it's a, if it's a team... Uh that may have done it to you when you were shorthanded or taken advantage of you and really laid the lumber to you. If, if you get yourself in a position where you can pay him back, you'll run it up as high as you can. We had an instance, uh, but that's just getting even. I mean, that's just the way I would run things. We had an instance, um, we used to play Norwood in our league in a league meeting. Their owner was a great guy and kept saying, you know, I know we play Sunday nights at 8 o'clock, which is absolutely insane, insane. But, I mean, you never bring your full team. Why don't you bring all your NHL guys? And so I went in and after the meeting, and I said, here's what he wants. So let's make it. So the next time we went, we took everybody. And it was uh, 13 to 1 at the end of the second period. And the boys decided to let up because it was a challenge. And they didn't. And we still scored three more in the third period. They made a bet that, you know, you had to make three passes inside the blue because we didn't want to blow them out. They had a nice crowd there. And uh, <laughs> I walked by their owner afterwards, and I kind of looked at him. He said, well, I asked for it. So in that case, it was kind of sad. But, you know, if, if you think you're going to play somebody, you have to make a determination, do I really want to annoy these guys in case they get a chance to feed me or we're going to play them in the playoffs? So it's a fine line. Do you send a message? and say that there's no way you're ever going to beat us. But if you think the other team's got the right makeup, you want to be a little bit careful because the shoe may be on the other foot at some point. So, well, and there's things you can I do. Think- and There's things you can do. You talk about the three-pass rule. I mean, coaching minor hockey, and, and like you're talking about adults, guys who have played high levels. 
you, you go down into the into the minor hockey, into youth hockey or baseball or basketball or something, and and to me it becomes a very tricky thing because you're trying to encourage kids to play. And the last thing you want to do, even if you end up in a matchup with a really weak team, is just humiliate the kids because they're not going to have the opportunity to come back like in a playoff series in all likelihood. And all you're doing is making them feel like crap. And so you got to be more careful. You do. Uh, And then there are situations where you really can't get around it. In the 2014 Allen Cup tournament, I'm pretty sure it was Kenora we were playing. And we we... I think we hammered them eight one, and but we made a conscious decision to still go with our number one power play, because in the tournament format, your goals for and against really mattered. So we had Mike Mole and Net, so we were in pretty good shape there. We tried to give up as few as we could, and uh, I don't think we let up at all because because we had to. And uh, I talked to the the GM of Kenora afterwards, and he said, "I get it, right? Like, I mean, that one goal might give you a buy." into the semifinals and you have to do it. So a lot of people don't understand that when you, you kind of go on, why don't we leave these guys alone? Well, in that case, you can't. Any organizer, Don, of any youth tournament that puts a goal differential tiebreaker in should be banished from ever organizing a tournament ever again, ever. It is the most surefire way to create bad feelings and to create problems. It, you simply have to make it the goals against as the tiebreaker. And then you know what happens? You get up by five or six or eight goals against a weak team and your whole decision then, your coaching is just don't let them score. As opposed to the goal differential where you've now got a 12-year-old team and you to get that by because the other team that you're competing against for first place, well, they just put up 15 on some team. So now you got to get 16 or 17 or 20 or 30 if you can't. I mean, it's ludicrous. It's, and I can't believe that any, they still do, but I can't believe that any organizer of any youth league or tournament still thinks that somehow that's a good tiebreaker. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of it, but in... in in the way the national championships run for the Allen Cup, you don't have the luxury of adding a day, right? And the balance should be pretty good. I mean, you shouldn't get any blowouts to speak of once in a while. No, you're you talking it. about elite. You're talking about elite players yeah. at an elite level. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it shouldn't be. And 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 like in a worst case scenario, what do you get? Eight nothing. So I mean, it's a blowout, oh, yeah. but it's not it's not ridiculous. Whereas in minor sports we played in a baseball game once when my son was playing and I don't even know I, the scoreboard, it, it, there were a few sparks that flew and then the lights burst into flames and the, the thing exploded. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. We were on the losing side and the other team just kept piling it on and piling it on. It's like, okay, what's, what's the point here? What, what's the point of doing this? And well, that, that's when they should have mercy rules. I mean, they have that in baseball, don't they? Like after so many, you know, if you're down by 10 after five innings, you know, we're good. We don't need to, it doesn't need to be 15 to two. Yeah, well, they do. Right. Now they do in, in a lot of tournaments. There's, there's different ways that these things play out, but no, I just, I, it's an interesting question always because it is such a tough one. You don't want to, you want to get to the point where you, if you're playing a game that's competitive, you want to know that you can win. And clearly, as we were talking about for the Leafs last night, clearly a four goal lead was not sufficient. And we're also not talking about the NHL necessarily, but in other leagues, is is it 
you know, if you're in baseball, if you're up by 10 in youth baseball, is 10 runs the point when you say, we're going to pull the shoot, we're going to go station to station. We're not, you get up, hit a ball into the gap. We're only going one base, one base, just, you know, not, we're not, whatever other stuff is going on. We're going to put in our weaker pitchers to give them some work, all these things. Not everyone's going to do it for sure. But I, I think it's a huge part of, especially youth sports that should be stressed and, and coaches that don't do it should be quite frankly, um, should be shamed. If if you're a a coach of a really powerful team that decides you're just going to absolutely get a team down and then just keep pouring it on, you should be ashamed of yourself in kids sports. What the, what the Leafs may have learned last night that they didn't know, perhaps they thought they were good enough that if they did kind of mail it in a little bit, they just crank it up again when they needed a couple more. And if the lesson is that, you know what, we, we, right now, we don't know how to crank it up. We tried to crank it up and they wouldn't let us. So next time we're up five, one, we better try and make it seven because that other plan, there's no evidence we can pull that off. True. That might be what, that might be what the coach points out this morning. True. And, and as I said, there is a, in my, in my mind, a chasmic difference between the NHL or your senior A hockey where guys have played in the NHL, a lot of them, or high levels, AHL, OHL, and kids sports where you've got some kids that are really good and may go on to something else and a bunch of others that this is the highest level they're ever going to play. And all of a sudden it's a mismatch and you decide to just humiliate them. Again, I, I, have, a, I have a huge problem with that. I don't know where that line always is. It's very tricky. But there is a line, and I think that if you are a coach with even a modicum of common sense, you can figure it out in the middle of a game. And you you don't even have to do it in a way that embarrasses the other team by playing keep away or something. I remember one time we were playing, um, our team that my son was on was in the position of being the way stronger team. And what they decided was keep playing, continue to play and play as this is in hockey as hard as you can, but we're going to pretend you scored a goal Every time you can hit the goalie in the crest of his jersey. If you hit him in the crest on the bench, we're counting that as a goal because we know you could have scored. So aim right for his chest. And you know what? They still dominated the game, but at least they don't put up an extra 15 goals. There's ways. Yes, there is. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don, we only have a few minutes left here, but... There was a piece that um, there, there was a lot of rumblings and a lot of talk in the last few days about rumors that the Ontario Hockey League was formulating a plan to come back and play again this year. David Branch, who's the commissioner of the league, shot those down so far, says we'd love to. We're working on stuff, but we've got nothing yet. You guys are trying to figure out a way, I suppose, to get back. Do, do, other than the NHL and now the AHL, because they've given, but that's really an arm of the NHL. Do you see a likelihood that any other leagues this year are going to find a way back before the season is done? Not in a meaningful way, I don't think. I mean, we shuttered our league December 23rd, seeing no path. You know, without fans, it doesn't work. We're not going to jeopardize our athletes. You know, but our guys aren't looking for scholarships. They're not looking, you know, to be drafted into the pros. I kind of get it. But I see absolutely no safe path to create a credible season. I mean, you know, there's now talk that some of these leagues are down to, well, we can play a 16-game season. Really? Normally you'll play 60. So you can't even play everybody once. So what you don't want to do is compromise your integrity just to say you played the season. You know, 
don't worry. People are going to come back. Your sponsors aren't going to go anywhere if they're not broke, right? The fans are anxious to watch hockey. I think everything will be fine. I think, as a matter of fact, I think live sports might do very well at our level and the Hamilton Bulldogs level, you know, but you just, you can't do it for the sake of saying, well, you know, we didn't lose the year. Well, you might not lose the year, but don't lose your credibility. And uh, the OHL is a wonderful institution and uh, they'll, they'll make the determination at the right time. I think the thing that probably creates pause for them, it looks like the Western league and the Quebec league are going to go. And it would be my understanding that if you haven't got all three leagues, you're not going to have a Memorial cup. So that might be part and parcel of it, but the Memorial cup supposed to be played in Ontario this year. I don't even think they've announced the host yet. How are you going to do with no, no fans? I mean, that's that's not what you do. Well, it, so the five teams in, is it Saskatchewan, I believe? The, the Saskatchewan government has given like three hundred dollars or $600,000 to each team so they can play without fans right now. There's no way that the Ontario government is doing the same thing because they've got 17 teams they would then have to give that money to. And then if you do that, well, then surely you've got to give money to the Canadian Elite Basketball League and the Canadian Professional Soccer League teams and to the CFL teams and to literally every other league in the province. It's a Pandora's box that you're opening up that you can't do it. And I don't see the financial wherewithal of a bunch of these Ontario Hockey League teams if they go ahead with a season or try to with no fans. You may put yourself in much worse financial shape down the road so that you're putting the long-term health of the or the, the league at risk, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I, I look, I, I don't want to be negative. I, I, I hope, I truly hope that in the very, very near future, they can figure out some sort of plan that can make this work. I just can't see it. I just can't see it. I, I, I hope to, I just, uh, I, I mean, if, if you read the spec and, and you look at a number of different things, I'll tell you. Um, I, uh, I, I, I don't see how they can make it work. Um, I'm sure that they're taking advantage of all the government subsidies for businesses. And I wouldn't be surprised that they're working on something to help teams like that. And the, and the CFL teams in Ontario, but you're right. If they start handing money out for that, when there's so many other yeah, areas that yep. think they need more, boy, how do you justify it? I mean, you can't. Don, I got to jump fine. in. I got Don. I got to jump in because we are flat out of time here. But you're absolutely right. You can't. Okay. You, you can't. And it's uh, it just becomes a huge problem. But listen, I I, I wish we had more. Uh, Don Robertson. You can hear him every Monday at this time, most weeks, except for this week. Don, thanks as always for doing this. Really appreciate it. All right, Scott. Thank you. Have a good week. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.